My name is Tim Mischleck. I am so happy to be here. I bring greetings from the Red Brick Church in Stillman Valley, that little no-name town in the middle of the cornfields, way down south there. Is this south? Way down there, in the south, in the cornfields. Uh, Chris Bronze is, uh, is our pastor there, and we are thankful for you guys and the relationship we have with Steve. And, um, and I enjoyed meeting all of your teens uh, in January for the snow camp that I was able to, to enjoy their company and see them wrestle each other and dip each other in the snow and pummel each other. It was just a lot of fun. It, it really reflected good on your homes and the, the family lives that you guys have. So it's clearly like solid Christian families. Um, and I'm so thankful for, uh, for my wife Amy and supporting me. Man, we have gone through a lot already together in our five years of marriage almost six now, June 20th, yeah, it's coming up. But I wanted to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, your teens actually heard the first part of this message, kind of part A, and then we're going to get into part B here in just a little bit. I know you guys are slightly familiar with 1 Thessalonians, so you should already know what I'm going to say, but we all need to hear this almost daily, some of these, some of these lessons. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times or seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But... You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. <coughs> the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, I want you to imagine that the day of the Lord is like a train tunnel, like a train tunnel, okay? Now, the train tunnel is something so narrow that when the train passes through it, there is no room to the right or to the left, okay? When the train meets that tunnel, okay, you are either in the path of the train or you're on the train. There's only two places to be when the train meets the tunnel, I knew this was going to happen. We're going to give this one more go. See, you were praying for me, but you weren't praying for the technology. I knew it. You're just going to have to forego the slides today. Imagine the trick... Okay, well, I'm going to give it another go. Imagine there's a train tunnel, and Jesus Christ is that train. Okay, and He is coming, and at that day, when He comes to usher His people into His coming kingdom, He's going to meet that tunnel. Okay, and when that tunnel comes, if you're in the path of that train, there is no stopping it. The train can have no mercy on the path, those in the path of that train. They will be destroyed. But those who are on the train are ushered into the peace and safety and security that is on the other side. Okay? Now, now, you hear the whistle of the train coming every time you open the word and Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, right? Okay, I am coming soon. So you, you hear the whistle of the train and you look out and you see poverty and you see sickness and disease and you see death, and you hear the whistle of the train, you say, he's coming back. He promises he's going to fix this. And you look out, and you see war, and you see child uh, prostitution, and you see uh, human trafficking, and you say, Jesus is coming back, and you hear the whistle of the train. And you know that when he comes back, he's going to fix everything. Now, God is a God of love, but when that love comes in contact with sin, it responds in wrath. The day of the Lord is like a tunnel. Amos 5, 14 says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gates. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have a day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion... And a bear met him, or went out into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, 
and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? The prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even the male and the female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved from this day. The prophet Malachi, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know whether you are ready for the day of the Lord. Only you would know. But the day of the Lord only has two options. One is unavoidable and terrible and destructive. But if you're on the train, it's beautiful and peaceful and safe and fulfilling and satisfying and renewing. Well, how do you get on the train? If, if it's my choice, what do you have to do? And Jesus says, follow me. Come to me who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And he says, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Push it away and say, God, I want to be close to you. And I want to be far away from sin. And you say, Jesus, I trust you so that when you got nailed on that cross, that will, should have been me. And when God poured out his wrath upon you, that should have been me. But I trust that you did it in my place. And when you come to that place as a person, you become a Christian. You become a child of God so that you get on the train, as it were. And, and the day of the Lord is a beautiful and peaceful place for you. But if you're still on the fence, and I imagine that in this room of this size, there are still some people who are just kind of playing Christian, or some people who just aren't sure if they really want to commit to Christianity, I beg you, today you do not want the day of the Lord to come until you are a follower of Jesus Christ, because the day will be unavoidably terrible and destructive. Do you see what he says about the peace and security in chapter 5, verse 3? He says, people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Okay, the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. Now, this peace and security was this pop popular slogan of the Roman propaganda machine. Okay, Rome would walk to the door of another city with their huge army and say, would you like to be destroyed or would you like to pay us taxes? Oh, by the way, taxes also come with a lifetime guarantee. You will be protected, you will get your roads fixed, you will be happier if you just pay us taxes. But if you don't, you'll be destroyed. But you should just pay us taxes. And the city after city after city just said, whoa, okay, 
We want to get on Rome's side. We want to be a Roman citizen. It comes with all sorts of great, great stuff, right? And Paul is saying, okay, people are saying that there's peace and security, but there is no army. There is no F-16. There is no aircraft carrier. There is no atomic warhead that can save you from the day of the Lord. When Christ comes, it cannot be avoided. So you want to be on the train. So I beg you today, if you have not committed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. Follow Him. Now, for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, what does it look like to be on the train, to ride together? Because sometimes it feels a little cramped. Sometimes it feels a little stinky on the train. You see, riding on the train always comes with two problems. One, the train is full of sinful people, people with issues. This church is filled with people with issues. Now, I don't know this church very well, but I know people, and I know you've got issues, right? And that's the second problem of people who ride on the train. Not only do people who are sitting next to you have issues with gossip, who have issues with lying, who have issues with lust, maybe pornography, who have, who have like, been disrespectful, who have been cruel to their spouses or, or mean to their children, Okay, not only those are those are people in this room who act that way, who have like sin. The second problem is you're one of those people, right? I'm one of those people. I'm one of the people that comes, walks into church, and brings my issues. Because this 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 isn't a building of extra super holy people, as Sally Lloyd Jones described the Pharisees. That we come in with our badge and we put on our smile and everybody thinks, wow, their life is great. They must have a perfect marriage. They're sitting so close together in church. They probably never argue, right? We, we know we've got issues. We know we have sin. We know we have problems. And that's part of the problem of coming to church is that there's people with issues and we brought our own issues here. And if you say, well, you know, I don't, this, this has just got too much issues. I'm going to go to another church. <laughs> and you walk in the doors and it was a perfect church until you walked in. And then now the church has got your issues, right? So we, we've got to be aware that, that riding on the train comes with problems. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, being belonging to this community of believers comes with problems. It comes with issues. We're all problem children, as J.R.W. Scott says. We're struggling with problems of understanding or of faith, or of conduct. But God is faithful. He's faithful to us. And, and even though when we call on Him, He doesn't remove all the sin. He, he covers it. And then we, we battle like, like Paul in Romans 7, that, that I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And who's going to save me from the body of this death? He cries out. Who is? Well, God is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll get there at the very end. But we know this is happening. So what does it look like? So Paul has some admonitions for us. What is the Christian response to the day of the Lord? Because the day of the Lord is coming. Because it is coming. What is our response? What should our response be? 
Okay, our response needs to be that we need to be alert. We need to be alert or be sober, he says. We read it twice. Be sober or be disciplined, he says. You see it there in verse 6. Don't sleep as others do, but keep awake and be sober. Be sober. Okay, be disciplined about our Christian life. Now, the Christian assembly in Thessalonica, D. Martin says, indeed, the church in most instances is a complex entity, including a great variety of personalities. Okay, you've got leaders, you've got followers, you've got those who are weak in the faith, those who are strong, the optimist, the pessimist, the cynical, the gullible, those and others must coexist in the church. And even more, they must learn how to love one another and work with one another for the encouraging and building up of each other. So what does it look like to keep awake, to be alert? Okay, number one, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Okay, do you see what he says right at the end of chapter 4, that very last verse? He says, encourage one another with what? Encourage one another with these words. What words? The words that the day of the Lord is coming. And you say, whoa, we just, the day of the Lord is like a, a place of destruction. Unless you're a believer, then the day of the Lord is a wonderful, peaceful renewal. Okay? It's new life again. Okay? Encouraging one another. But also building one another up. Okay? Building one another up. Okay? We're all part of this body. Each one of us. Okay, we have a saying at the Red Brick Church that you're all bricks. Okay, you're all bricks in this building of the Red Brick Church. And rather than coming over and discouraging somebody and scooping out the mortar around them and being like, wow, you got issues and your brick is like chipped a little bit. Okay, we're supposed to be coming in and putting mortar around each other and building each other up and speaking truth into each other's lives. Okay. Third, we're supposed to honor our spiritual leaders. Honor our spiritual leaders. Okay, look at verse 12. Let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly because of their work. Okay, these kind of leaders have three things that characterize them as spiritual leaders in the church. Okay, did you notice the three things? Okay, the first thing is that they labor among us. Okay, they're working among us. Okay, secondly, they are over us, or a better way of saying is that they care for us. Okay, they're caring for us. Kind of like a father is caring for his children. There's, there is some authority there, but it's, but it's a, an authority that is built in responsibility and, and concern and compassion and care. Okay? They're laboring for us, they're caring for us, and they're admonishing us. Okay, they're admonishing us. And all three of these things are bound together in one purpose. Okay, they're doing these three things. They're, they're caring for us, and they're laboring among us, and they're admonishing us in the Lord. Okay, in the Lord. It's not a power play. It's not some of their own kingdom that they're building or some of their own agenda. Okay, this is all done in the Lord. And what Paul's saying is that these spiritual leaders are deriving their authority directly from their relationship with God. Okay, the spiritual leaders are getting the authority 
and their respect and their honor, they're getting that authority from their relationship with God. Okay? And God tells us, if you want to be building each other up, this is how to do it. This is where to start. Okay? You start it by saying, I respect and I, and I hold you up as a leader because of your labor, because you care for me, and because you are doing it in the Lord. You're admonishing me in the Lord. So he says, respect them, and he says, hold them in high esteem, motivated by something. Okay, what is our attitude of leaders motivated by? Did you see what he says? Okay, he says, esteem them very highly because of their work, not just because of their position, mind you. Okay, they don't get this respect and high esteem just because they have a title in front of them, but because of their work. Okay, he says... Esteem them very highly in what? Esteem them very highly in what? Because it's not always easy to do. And sometimes we have to tell ourselves, we have to speak to ourselves to do this. But he says, esteem them very highly in love. You see what he says there in verse 13? Esteem them in love. This is, this is our motivation as believers. Everything we do, everything we are, everything we have, All of the relationships that we have in the church must be bound in in love. You know what love is, right? 1 Corinthians 13, it's patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's slow to anger. It doesn't hold grudges. Love doesn't delight in evil or, or it doesn't delight in the bad things about people, but it rejoices in the truth. Love always hopes and trusts and believes and endures, and love will never fail, right? Love is always faithful. Does that describe your relationship with the people in this church, the people next to you, the spiritual leaders of this church? Is that, is that your heart motivation? Or is this the week to forgive somebody? Is this the week to think no evil of them? Is this the week to be long-suffering or gentle or kind? Our relationships must be motivated by love, especially with our spiritual leaders. But look at verse right at the end of 13. Okay, he says, be at peace among yourselves. He says, be loyal to each other. Be loyal to each other. Now, now this is all in the context of relationships, right? And, and we all know if you're in a relationships that relationships are a little risky. Because with a relationship, what do you have to do? You have to, you have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable, right? You have to open yourself up to being betrayed. Just like Jesus, when he, brought, when he befriended the twelve, he opened himself up to be betrayed in such a way that brought about his murder. And he knew that, and yet he still offered friendship and love. So we know relationships are hard. We know that they're, they're risky. But Jesus, through Paul, is saying, 
You have to do this in love to build up the body, to encourage one another. It's got to be done so that you're loyal to each other. And they're going to mess up. And they are going to hurt you. And they are going to say negative things about you. They're even going to lie or gossip about you. And you say, well, if they do that, it's over. It's done, right? Relationship ended. Jesus says, look, this church is full of misfits, broken people who've come together and say, we need Jesus. But the way that Jesus designed this ride to glory to go is that we need each other. We need to be encouraging each other and building each other up in love. Then he turns his attention to everyone else and says, okay, these are your responsibilities. This is what it's got to look like. Verse 14, we urge you, brother, to admonish the idol. Okay, admonish the idol. That's speaking truth into their lives. Now, truth is not always uplifting. It's not always encouraging. Sometimes truth is building people up and saying, I think you missed the point of that. I think you're, I think you're, you're thinking wrongly about this. I think you're treating your spouse poorly in this area. I think I want to talk to you about your choices in this area because it, it seems to me that you're making poor choices and you're admonishing. Notice it, this isn't a talk to leaders. This is a talk to all of us. And it says, you need to be admonishing me and I need to be admonishing you and, and the person next to you. This is where truth has to come from. It has to come from a heart of love, but you're speaking truth and it's not always easy because some of us are idle. Really, all of us at some points in some ways are idle. Sometimes we've become complacent about the things of God. Maybe we've become complacent about our strive for holiness or desire to renew our marriage or to raise godly children or desire to be part of this church and to build up the church of Christ. Okay, and our encouragement is admonish each other, keep each other going because we need each other to build up the body. Okay, admonish the idol. Okay, those who are asleep, those who are undisciplined in their actions, admonish them in love. Okay, admonishing, also helping the weak. Helping the weak, all of us in some way or another are weak, okay? Whether we're weak physically or spiritually or mentally or financially, okay, or emotionally, we all have weakness and we all, we are designed as Christ's church to build one another up, to help each other no matter what it looks like. And also be patient with everyone. Be patient now, all of you who are parents in here, you know what patience is, right? Because your children are still alive. You know what it's like to say, I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that for a moment before I speak truth to you. Okay, lest we shake the life out of them. Okay, and, we, and, and by God's grace, we don't, but, but we need to love and be patient with our children 
just like we need to love and be patient with each other. Okay, and in a church this size, you can probably start to avoid people, right? You can start to be less patient with people because you can choose to just never talk to them. You just got plenty of other people to go to. Okay, and that's not patience and love. And he says, be patient with them all, he says, because they're all going to mess up. Say, Pastor Steve? Yes. He's a sinner. He's a sinner. And sometimes he's going to sin against you. And, and, and you're going to need to forgive him. And you're going to need to be patient with him and, and endure with him. That's the way things have to work to build up the body of Christ. Okay? Being patient with them all. And then he says, return good for evil. Return good for evil. Okay? Don't repay evil for evil, but rather seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay? Notice he says, to, to one another and to everyone. He says, in the church you're going to have some enemies maybe, but you're also going to get some enemies outside the church. And are you supposed to return evil to those who are outside the church? He says, always do good. You're seeking to do good to everyone. Okay, and then he says, rejoice always. Okay, rejoice always. This does not mean coming to church with a plastic smile because everybody knows He's rejoicing, and you're like, hey, how are you doing this week? I'm great. My house burned down. My dog died. And my car, yeah, it's, it's not working either. But I'm rejoicing. And you're like, okay, now, now, rejoicing always doesn't mean rejoice for everything. Like, yay. Okay, it's not jumping up and down, clicking your heels and saying, everything is great about everything. Hey, we know Jesus sorrowed, we know he wept, we know he cried, we know he mourned. So rejoicing always doesn't mean you always have this fake smile and that you don't feel pain. Okay? It means in every circumstances, even in the depths of your pain and your despair, you know that the day of the Lord is coming and that justice is coming. And that no matter what anybody has done to you, you know that God will make it right. And you know that God has forgiven you from the awful, terrible sin that you've committed so you, you can forgive. And in that, the joy, it's this utter peace, this depth of your being rejoicing that you say, I don't feel happy, but I know my God is good and I know my God is great. But we don't always act that way, do we? We don't always feel like that. We have a lot of times in our lives that we don't feel like that, and that's where we need each other to speak into each other's lives and empathize with each other and say, hey, I know that it's really hard for you. I can't wait for Christ to come and fix this. Can't you? Okay, I, you're speaking words of truth. You're, you're feeling hurt with them, but you're telling them, look, hope, wait for the day of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming back. Okay, rejoicing always and praying without ceasing. Praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Now, does this mean that you shouldn't actually be sitting here listening to a sermon and I shouldn't be preaching, but we should be praying because it says pray without ceasing? And right now you've ceased praying, some of you. 
Oh, I think what Paul's saying here is that always, no matter what the circumstances in our life, okay, we have this mindset of, of communion with God, the, this ongoing conversation that when we stop at a light, we're just talking to God. Okay? And when we open our book for class, we're, we're talking to God. Okay? And it's just this little ongoing conversation, and, and you're saying, God, I want to be close to you. I want you near me all the time. Now, we need prayer warriors who are going to go in their closet and do that. And you should be one of those. And I should be one of those. So that should be part of your time. But the rest of your life always needs to be this praying communion with God, this constant conversation. As He speaks truth into your life from the Word that you've memorized, okay, from the Bible, and you speak to Him. Praying without ceasing. And then, give thanks in all circumstances. You see in verse 18, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, now, does he say give thanks for all circumstances or in all circumstances? Because this is echoing the, the conversation we were having about rejoicing. Okay, give thanks for all circumstances or in all circumstances. What does he say? Verse, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. That means no matter what happens in your life, you are going to experience extreme pain. And, con- and there are going to be times that you do not know how to move forward. And God says you don't have to give thanks for the situation. You have to give thanks in the situation, that God is great and God is good, and that one day He's coming to fix it all. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Lumping all these together, he's basically saying, treasure the word, make the word your foundation and grounding, and so that no matter what's said from this platform, no matter what's said to you from another person in this room or outside this room, you take it to scripture and say, is that true? Is that truth? Is that truth for me? Is, is that what I need to do? And if it is, hold on to it. Embrace it. Bring it close to your heart. Be discerning. Okay? So what is the point of all of this? All of this time that we've spent, okay, the church needs you. Okay? God designed you for a purpose, not just to live your life and make money and raise a family, but to build His church, to bring people into this house to see the glory of Christ manifest through His Word. And, and as you worship Him in music, okay, you're building the church. And as you worship Him through your attention during the sermon, you're worshiping God and you're building His church. Okay? And as you leave this place and we eat downstairs and, and you speak truth into each other's lives and you empathize with each other and you encourage one another and you build each other up, okay, you are a necessary part of this body, every single one of you. You say, well, I'm, I'm just a teenager. You're important to this body. Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm so little and I, I don't know a lot. You are part of this body. God designed you to, to live this way. So you've we need you. We need your gifts. God's gifted you to be part of this body. And he doesn't call everybody to, to 
come up here and play the guitar, but he calls all of us to this list to encourage, to exhort, to build up, to be at peace, to honor our leaders, to love everybody, to be loyal, to help the weak, to be patient with everybody, to return good for evil, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, listening to the Spirit, testing stuff, and holding fast to the good. That's your job. Welcome to the train. It's a little stinky in here, but we're part of it. And this is the last part. Look with me at verse 23 and 24. Because if you're like me, even as I prepared for this message, the weight of overwhelming responsibility just pressed on me. The guilt, the inadequacy of living like this. Verse 23, Paul's benediction, and I'll close. Now, may the God of peace himself himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wow, I cannot do that. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He's faithful. He will surely do it. He's promised you. He's begun a good work in you. He will complete it at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. It's a good day. It's going to be a great day. I hope you're looking forward to it. And if you're not, I beg of you, come to Christ. Shall we pray together? Our Father in heaven, we ask that you minister grace to our hearts so that we can be people of grace, people of encouragement, who are building each other up, who are praying for each other, who are patient with each other, and who are speaking truth into each other's lives who are holding up our leaders with love, with high esteem, that your church can function well and properly. Help us to forgive each other and to seek you every day. Thank you so much for this church. We ask all these things, anticipating your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen.